to the Fantasy Football Advocate Podcast and the Sack Attack Fantasy Football Podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. How are you doing today, Sack Attack? Doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. You ready to get into these games? I'm definitely ready. So we should probably start with the Thursday night football game first and then work our way all the way to the Sunday night football game. You good with that? All right. So first off, let's start off with the Broncos versus Jets. The Broncos score 37 points against the Jets and beat the Jets 37-26. Melvin Gordon and Sam Darnold had decent games in this one. Melvin Gordon had 23.8 fantasy points and Sam Darnold had 23.6. And that's that's all the performers that had more than 20 points. Um, If we take a look at this... um, Melvin Gordon had 23 rushing yards, which is pretty promising, whereas Royce Freeman only had three. And I know you do a uh, snap share uh, post. What's the snap share breakdown in the Broncos' backfield? For sure. So, with the uh, the snap share, I'm just going to pull it up because I didn't have it ready. <laughs> I'm sorry. I kind of just threw it on you there real quick. You're good. So the snap share was actually 83% to 17% with Melvin Gordon and Royce Freeman. And that's actually a little inflated because if anyone was watching the game, there was uh, there was about four to five minutes that Melvin Gordon didn't play and it looked like he had an injury. So it, it, this more the snap count could be more like an 86 to 87%. Right. Really good for him. Right. So Melvin Gordon rest of season seems like he could be a pretty decent option. In the New York Jets backfield, uh, we had Sam Darnold have six rushes for 84 yards and a touchdown. Frank Gore had 13 carries for 30 yards. And uh, P. Ryan had five rushes for 15 yards. What was the snap share breakdown for the Jets backfield? So Frank Gore was 47%. Kalen Balazs is no longer on the team. That's unfortunate. It definitely isn't. 39%. And LaMichael P. Ryan, 14%. It'll be interesting because, or sorry, Le'Veon Bell will come back this week off of IR, so it'll be interesting to see. Right, I was and Frank Gore, and then Michael P. Ryan, who they actually like a lot. I was just gonna mention that because if Kalen Balage left, and he had a thirty percent snap share, I was gonna ask you how you think the snap share would be, how that thir- extra thirty percent would be divided. But with Le'Veon Bell coming back, I can most of that would likely go to Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, with Adam Gates, you never really know, honestly. For all we know, Frank Gore could just become 22 again and get 70% of snaps. But Never know. Like, it's not going to happen. <laughs> you never know with Frank Gore. You never know that old man just divides his age every once in a while. But with Le'Veon Bell, you're probably going to get to where he has 60 to 70% of Frank Gore gets around 20%. And then Michael P. Ryan still gets a little bit of time because I think that they like him a little bit. Um, I think they want to use him, but at the same time, this is going to be Le'Veon Bell's backfield um, in a year that they need some wins because Case's job is on the line, and I have no idea how he hasn't been fired. I I completely agree. So I was talking earlier uh, to some coworkers from work, and I was asking them, I'm like, if the if uh, Adam Gates and the Jets somehow lose to the Broncos, who are playing their third string QB. Does Gates get fired? And pretty much everybody agreed he should be fired if that's the case. I'm surprised he still has a job. I completely agree. 
uh, whenever we break down the QBs in this matchup, um, okay, I'm going to need you to pronounce his last name because I don't know how to say it. I'm just going to be honest. Uh, all right, so Brett Rippin. All right. How you pronounce it? So Rippin had a pretty poor performance for the uh, Broncos. He had 19 completions on 31 attempts for 242 yards, two touchdowns, and three interceptions. Um, some Jameis Winston flashbacks with the three interception games. However, the Broncos still managed to score 37 points, and I think that's mainly due to Melvin Gordon, who had a over 100 yard performance with two touchdowns. Uh, Sam Darnold had an okay fantasy day. He passed the ball 42 times, uh, completed passes on 23 attempts or 23 times for 230 yards. No passing touchdowns, but where he got the majority of his fantasy points was from his 84 rushing yards and his touchdown, which helped him get a, uh, where was it? I'm sorry, a 23.6 point uh, performance. And then for the receivers, uh, Jamison Crowder got seven receptions for 104 yards. And Jerry Judy, Jerry Judy, I'm sorry. <laughs> Jer- Jerry Judy had two receptions for 61 yards and a touchdown so Jerry Judy was more or less a deep threat in this game and didn't get uh, too many receptions which was kind of surprising whereas Fant had five t- are, we gonna uh, the fact- are we going to ignore the fact that you just ignored Tim Patrick Tim Patrick is the goat what are you talking about oh. 13 yards, 6 receptions and a touchdown dude Rippin was just ripping them <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> yeah. No, that was pretty good. Uh, like going over this game, I mean, there's not really much to talk about. Rippin looked like a third string quarterback. As much as I preached that he was smart and he wasn't going to make a mistake, he threw two picks that you wonder how in the world he's on the football field. Right. Um, he he threw he threw three interceptions. Yeah, yeah, in terms of running, Melvin Gordon had a solid day. He had a really good game. Um, but I think I saw a stat to where if you take away the two rushes for the touchdowns, and like I think it was one other big game, he only averaged 1.7 yards per carry. So I don't think it's that much of an issue, but that is something to be interesting to look at. K.J. Hamler was non-existent in this game, although he had a good snap share. I don't remember the snap percentage, but he didn't see a single reception. And then looking on the Jets side, Jason Crowder is literally the only person you should be targeting in this backfield. I know a lot of people were pretty high on a J- uh, not Jamison Crowder. Um, no, no, uh, the t- the tight end, the tight end. I can't remember his oh, name. Chris yeah, Chris Herndon. Everybody yeah, thought he would be the guy who gets all the targets, but it turns out actually that the whole tight end position as a whole just isn't doing that well. Like there's there's yeah. a there's a few guys at the top who are doing good, but all the all the sleeper tight ends that everybody mentioned, not a lot of them are doing that well. Yeah, um, it, it seems to be that way every year. We think that there's a lot of tight end depth, and then when you get into the season, you realize, oh wait, OJ Howard and Jared Cook don't exist last year, and <laughs> this year, oh wait, Hayden Hurst isn't doing good. Oh wait, Chris Herndon gets one reception a game. Like, what, what exactly are you supposed to do with it? So like. We'll move on to or like another game that we, uh, other game just uh, going quickly into it um, with Dalton Schultz. Like that's a guy that you normally don't see coming, 
but of course we are the ones who preach Chris Harden for a little bit of the year and Hayden Hurst and look how they're doing. It's just unfortunate. Mm-hmm. That's how the tight end position goes. All right. So, um, any waiver wire pickups for this game that you would recommend anybody on the Broncos or Jets who should be considered for a waiver wire target? <laughs> Not gonna lie, there is legit nobody. I think maybe Tim Patrick if you're in a if you're in a deeper league. But like at the end of the day, KJ Hamler will still be involved. Jerry Judy will still be involved. Involved. We yeah. don't know exactly what Drew Locke will do because I think Drew Locke will come back in about two two weeks. I think. Right, and, up and, he's and, and he also has um, to compete yeah. with uh, Noah Fant, who got five receptions that week. Exactly. So at the end of the day, there's not much targets to go around with Brett Rippon, and they're not going to throw the football that much. Um, um, in terms of the Jets, there's legit nobody that you should want besides Jamison Crowder. Jeff Smith had seven receptions for 81 yards. So what? This guy's <laughs> what? What has this guy done in his career? Right. There's uh, a there's a good chance it's just going to be a one week deal, and he's not going to do anything afterwards. Exactly. It's New York Jet wide receivers. You never heard of them. They do good one week. I mean, Braxton Berrios did good for two weeks, so that's a new record. But other than that, there's not really anything. Now, as soon as Adam Gase gets fired, though, you can expect everybody to increase in value, especially Le'Veon Bell, because I can guarantee you that whoever takes over is probably going to use him well. Anyway, here's a real question. What wide receiver like that is non-existent right now is just going to turn into a god as soon as Adam Gase gets out? Probably Braxton Berrios, honestly. Mm, I think he's too much of a slot wide receiver. I'm thinking maybe Perriman and Mims will finally be healthy and emerge, but who knows? This wide receiver core is terrible without Perriman and Mims on the outside. Right. Alright, so we'll go ahead and head on to the next game. So the next game is the Seahawks versus the Miami Dolphins. The Seahawks take the dub 31-23. Russell Wilson and Chris Carson have very good games, scoring 22 points for Carson and 20.9 for Russell Wilson. And Ryan Fitzpatrick, who was actually a pretty good DFS play this week, had 21.3 points. Uh, the Seahawks secondary has looked pretty bad this year. Um, the Seahawks defense has been very good against the run, but has been very weak against the pass, and I believe they allow the most passing yards in the league so far this year. Miles Gaskin only got 6.2 points, and Devontae Parker got 11. So overall, Fitzpatrick was the only guy who did super well, but Devontae Parker was an okay start this week. On Seattle, uh, DK Metcalf had a solid game. He had a 100-yard game for four catches and zero touchdowns. Chris Carson had 16 rushes for 80 yards and two touchdowns. And then Russell Wilson had 34 attempts, completing 24 of them for 360 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. And then Ryan Fitzpatrick had 45 attempts, completing 29 of them for 315 passing yards and two interceptions. And the only Patrick to go with the touchdown. Yeah, Fitzpatrick. Tyler Lockett kind of disappointed, and I don't think that'll happen a lot because Tyler Lockett coming into this game was like a top five option at the wide receiver position, and he was considered a must start every week. And we're kind of seeing that dim down a little bit because Tyler Lockett had a really favorable matchup in Noah Igbenogany, who's been a rookie in the slot, but I think. 
had Nick Needham play a lot of slots. So I think Nick Needham is an okay slot corner, but at the same time, Tyler Lockett kind of disappointed. Um, another thing to look at is the fact that Preston Williams and Mike Kosicki are straight garbage, and Isaiah Ford is definitely the wide receiver two on this team. Right. Um, yeah, Devontae Parker is definitely the wide receiver one for the Dolphins, and uh, we should just give a round of applause, honestly, to Ryan Fitzpatrick, who not only put up a good game throwing up 315 passing yards, but also led the uh, led the team in rushing yards. Uh, this 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 is stuff I have to go through every week as a Dolphins fan. You know, you know, last year there were two quarterbacks who led their teams in rushing: Lamar Jackson and Ryan Fitzpatrick with two hundred something rushing yards. <laughs> I feel so I feel so bad for Dolphins fans sometimes, man. Miles Gaskin only got forty yards uh forty yards on ten carries, and Fitzpatrick got forty seven on six carries, and it got a touchdown from it. All I gotta say, why don't so let's just start Tua and then put Brian Fitzpatrick at running back because I think that's what we need to do. In one of my in one of the uh, super flex leagues I'm in, my my QB situation is terrible, but it actually turned out pretty okay. But I waited a long time and I got both the Dolphins QBs and I got both the Chargers QBs, and Fitzpatrick and Herbert both did pretty well this week. No, that's really good. I'm. Stuck in a superflex league starting Nick Mullins, but like other than that, <laughs> other than that, everything's going pretty well with superflex. Um, it's good to stack those. I saw some people stack the Bears, but that's not really that good of an option because they really don't have upside and they kind of limit each other. Right. So, in terms of that, yeah, I, that's actually a really good idea for superflex, and I think that's something we could see next year. Yeah, um, that's something I'm gonna be doing. A lot is I'm going to be waiting on QB. I know it sounds weird, but in a league where you have to start like two QBs, but I'm actually I'm actually okay with waiting and then handcuffing some of the options. It's It actually works out pretty well because we all know if, if your QB starter goes down, there's nobody on the waiver wire to pick up. Yeah, for sure, but... Um... Most of the time, I normally don't put my depth quarterback in there, especially if it's like a Russell Wilson. I don't normally grab like a Geno Smith, or even if it's a guy like Matthew Stafford. I don't even know who their backup quarterback is. Probably some bum that was picked off the street by Matt Patricia. But but having having I Lamar normally... having Lamar Jackson's backup would be really good, I think, because you know you all, we all know who the backup is. I don't think so. Oh yeah, Tracy McSorley. Yes, sir. Love that guy. The goat. <laughs> and then in this game, there's not really... I mean, we thought it would be much more of an offensive shootout. Like, it really wasn't what we expected it to be. Um, the Dolphins' defense kind of did a solid job on uh, on Russ. Um, it didn't seem like they passed as much as they did, like they normally do, but they actually passed. Um, more than they normally do. So they're at 41.94% this week, um, and then 40.80 for the the most part of the year. So they actually passed more, and yet Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. Um, Lockett kind of disappointed, but Metcalf still had a decent game on only four seconds. Right. I think this kind of uh, proves that Metcalf may actually be the uh, wide receiver one on the Seahawks and the better guy to own. Right. Highly disagree. I think that actually goes to David Moore, honestly. But, mm, okay. Um, 
David Moore is an absolute god. But like Tyler Lockett is, I, I think he's still the wide receiver one on this team. Um, obviously, he had a tough match. I don't think he had a tough matchup. I think he just disappointed. He didn't get his first reception until the fourth quarter. So it's like Noah Igbenogany in the corner. I don't even know how to pronounce his last name. I think it's Igbenogany. He was playing a lot of outside corner, and I think Nick Needham is an underrated slot corner. I think we could see a lot of trap games that people will be like, oh, well, the Dolphins don't have a good slot corner, and if Byron Jones is out, they run Nick Needham in the slot. It actually worked pretty well for some reason. Yeah, for sure. So we'll head on to the next game, the Jacksonville Jaguars versus the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, I believe, if I remember correctly, I believe the Cincinnati Bengals get their first win of the season, and they beat the Jaguars 33-25. to A quick breakdown of the stars of the game. Joe Mixon had an incredible game, 36.1 fantasy points. It kind of proves us wrong from our last episode. DJ Chark has 21.5 fantasy points, and Gardner Minshew has 20.94. Joe Burrow and Tyler Boyd were slightly disappointing. Joe Burrow only put up 15 points, and Tyler Boyd only put up 9. And also a slightly disappointing performance from James Robinson with 10. It's alright, but it's nothing spectacular. But the stars of this game was definitely Chark and Mixon. Yeah, for sure. So... Mixon is definitely a guy that we saw, you definitely thought it would be a sell high, but Joe Mixon actually had a good game, and I think it was mainly because they committed to him at all costs. Um, That's a good thing, because in the passing game, they would use Giovanni Bernard, and Giovanni Bernard actually had no receptions this game. Joe Mixon had six, and that's something you definitely like moving forward. Joe Burrow had a good game, although one touchdown, one interception. Um, it's also in part with Joe Mixon getting two touchdowns. I think the biggest story here, especially on the Jag side, is that I think we could be starting to see an actual um, wide receiver corner matchup with C.J. Henderson, and C.J. Henderson is locking down a lot of his guys who, who he's gone up against. We saw it this week. A.J. Green had one reception for three t- or for three yards. So I think that's something to like keep in mind. We actually could be seeing where the Jacksonville Jaguars are a trap game for a wide receiver one because C.J. Henderson is playing so well. Right. Okay, so one thing I forgot I forgot to mention in the last game uh, with the Seahawks and um, Dolphins is that actually Ryan Fitzpatrick is actually a decent waiver wire pickup. He's scored 20-plus points, I believe, in every week this season. And he's only 20... And he's only, and he's only owned in 28% of leagues. I wouldn't normally. I don't like taking backup quarterbacks in a one quarterback league. I normally will just at that point. I would just wait on a Ryan Fitzpatrick. So I don't think Ryan Fitzpatrick is owned in most one quarterback leagues. Right. So you could end up getting him if you ended up having a bye week or something like that. Fitzpatrick is a guy who he doesn't really have. I wouldn't say he's the worst, but he definitely runs into scenarios where if he's up against a good defense, he tends to struggle a lot. So I think you saw a good glimpse of what he what he is against the Seahawks, but if he's up against a good defense, I'm not sure if I would start him. Right, I can agree. It's just just throwing it out there. Three games of at least 20 points, only owned in 28% of leagues. If you're kind of in the need for a QB and he has an okay matchup, he's not a he's not a bad option. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'd just like to point something out. Chris Thompson didn't get a single running back opportunity. So I think this further proves that James Robinson is going to be the guy moving forward. And although Ozigbo and Armstead didn't play, um, I'm not sure if they were exactly scratches or anything like that, uh, if they were healthy scratches or they were just out due to injury. But James Robinson took every single running back opportunity in this team. So I feel fully comfortable buying hang on him and trying to see what I can get for him. Right. Uh, so... I completely agree. Another guy that um, is a decent uh, waiver wire option that you need to look to that's on the Jaguars is Chenault. So Chenault had five receptions for 86 yards. He had no touchdowns in this game, but one of the interesting parts of his game is that he's also used kind of as a running back sometimes where he had one rush. Um, he had one rush this game for five five yards, but we've seen that he's being used as kind of a running back at certain points in the game and he there's always a potential that he could capitalize on that but how is Chenault not owned in that many leagues he's available or sorry he's only owned in 27 percent of leagues um, he's a solid option and he does an okay job Chark is still the wide receiver one on the team obviously because we see his stat line of eight receptions and 95 yards and then happen to get two touchdowns but Chenault almost got, almost got the same amount of yardage, but only had the five receptions. Yeah, so LaVisca Chenault is a guy I have liked for a while. I had him as my waiver wire at gem of the year. Because I think LaVisca Chenault is a guy who, with this running back uncertainty at first, you had a guy who, at the running back position, could give you, say, three to six touches a game. And then, receiving-wise, he's built like a Sammy Watkins when he came into the league, where Sammy Watkins was all yards after catch. He was, a, he was a polished wide receiver, but he was more known for the yards after catch, and that's what LaVisca Chenault is. LaVisca Chenault, coming out of Colorado, was mainly all athleticism, and that's all he showed at Colorado. So if you, were, if you had a team who was able to unlock his talent and just get him into the open space, that's where he really thrives. So that's why he has a, high, a higher average um, yards per catch compared to everyone else, but that's just because that's his game and he's able to get out of the open space and is built like a running back. Right, so, uh, and then on the Bengals side of things, Tyler Boyd had seven receptions for 90 yards. Mixon surprised everybody and got six receptions. You mentioned this earlier. This is something we mentioned in last week's episode, but Mixon hasn't been getting a lot of touches in the passing game. And that's one of the main reasons why I myself mentioned that he should be a sell and that you should sell him for other players. But with the six receptions, I want your opinion. Do you think he has decent long-term value now that he seems to probably be game script proof now? I do, but at the same time, I need to see another week. I Giovanni Bernard being so involved in the offense and at one point seeing just as many snaps as Mixon did. I'm not sure that I'm exactly wanting to pull the trigger yet. Like, if somebody's offering Joe Mixon for low, it would have to wait another week to see what that entails. But this week was definitely a good week. He had 83% of snaps. Ended up having all the receptions in the backfield. But I think that if you have him, you obviously feel ecstatic. And I went up against him in multiple leagues and lost them because they would end up having him and CD Lamb, and that would just be unfortunate. But I think I need to wait another week on Mixon um, to see what exactly Giovanni Bernard does. But I think we're looking really good for Mixon's outlook. 
Right. I completely agree. Um, I'm definitely going to temper um, what I said last week about possibly selling him. He's more or less a hold now. But he's definitely not a buy because you're not going to get him for cheap after a week like he's had this week. And we could easily see Bernard cut back into the workload because we've seen it for, from uh, the other games this year. And then T. Higgins. T. Higgins was able to get four receptions for 77 yards and actually looks like the wide receiver two on the team. He may take over A.J. Green's uh, role. I wouldn't say that. I think A.J. Green... I think T. Higgins is actually being molded into the A.J. Green in this offense as soon as A.J. Green leaves because they franchise tagged him. And I think A.J. Green had a tough matchup for C.J. Henderson. Obviously, every other cornerback on the chat course is absolute garbage. But when you have T. Higgins, who they're trying to mold to be that jump ball guy, that guy on the outside, obviously Tyler Boyd's in the slot, you have where T. Higgins will be at an advantage. So I think A.J. Green is still the preferred option on the outside. I don't think he's the wide receiver one, like I thought, for one week after he had the most air yards in the league after two weeks. But I think T. Higgins is a guy that they're trying to mold into that, and you can see that. But he is going up against worse quarterbacks. So I think that is a big development in all that. Right, I can I can agree with that. Uh, one thing, though, that I feel, and I don't know why, but there's just a gut feeling that I feel like A.J. Green is going to get traded uh, to the New England Patriots. But for some, but I, I agree. I think Higgins is being molded to be the A.J. Green type of player, elite type of wide receiver that he was years ago. I just personally, myself, I've been avoiding Green all off season, and I don't know if he's actually going to do that well. And yes, tough, tough matchup uh, with the cornerback, obviously. But Higgins has shown that he can he can have good weeks, and there's it, it always the potential. And that's all you need for in a waiver wire target. So he's definitely somebody that I'll be picking up in leagues this week. So just to do a, a short recap. Uh, Bengals won 33-25. Our waiver wire targets for these teams are T. Higgins. Uh, Gardner Minshew is a decent QB play if you need a QB. And LaVisca Chenault. Would, would you add anybody uh, else to that I list? Think you're forgetting, I think you're forgetting uh, the best Michael Thomas, uh, um, yeah. but Mike Thomas on the Bengals. So I think that's who you're forgetting. But other than that, yeah. Uh, as a deep end, of course, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, all right. But he's the better Michael Thomas. So far this season, yes. <laughs> he's ranked higher, so that means it's better, right? Yes. All right, on to the next game. So the Texans fall to 0-4. Um, pretty much the best they can do now is that 12-4 and floor that they had. Um, rest in peace, Neil. Uh, Vikings win 31-23. After this game, Bill O'Brien gets fired, rightfully so, after pretty much ruining the Texans. Uh, top performers from this game is Dalvin Cook, who had an impressive 26.6 fantasy points. Deshaun Watson managed to score 20.9 fantasy points. And Adam Thielen and Will Fuller managed to score 16.8 fantasy points and 18.2. So... Those guys obviously had decent performances. Last week, we talked about Justin Jefferson, who was a good waiver wire pickup, who had four receptions for 103 yards. Kyle Rudolph continues to not be barely involved in the offense. 
uh, has two receptions for 27 yards, and Irv Smith uh, did nothing. Uh, this is what. What are your thoughts yeah, on the tight end uh, situation the, in uh, Minnesota? Because earlier this year, I thought Irv Smith could like take over Kyle Rudolph's job, but Kyle Rudolph seems to just you know, like take over and still be the main tight end there. And then still not do anything at the same time. So neither neither of the Vikings tight ends are rosterable right now. Yeah, um, I wouldn't touch them at this point. Uh, with the Texans wide receivers, um, I'll go over the Texans a little bit. Sean Watson had a bad game until the end of the game when they almost came back. Uh, with David Johnson, he got a good snap share and got a lot of opportunity. But Duke Johnson was there, so he saw it. His upside is kind of limited to what we thought it was if he actually played a competent defense without Duke Johnson. Uh, with Will Fuller had a great game. Will Fuller is startable if he's healthy. Jordan Aikens had actually a solid game. I think that's something to keep in mind. He exited in the third quarter with a, I don't remember what type, kind of injury it was, but Jordan Aikens is a guy that I have in the 20-man IG League, and uh, I am all for it. And he's a tight end one at this, or he's a tight end two at this point. Um, on the on the uh, the Viking side, you have Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison. Obviously, uh, Cook still takes everything and had a great game. Uh, with Thielen, Thielen and Jefferson, it seems like they're the only two receiving options on this team, so their stats are going to be really good. Uh, Jefferson had a really good game, as we expected, and I, I want to know your opinions at, um, on this trade that I had. I ended up trading in a dynasty league. I think you saw this in the, uh, the duo dynasty league. Yeah, I probably where saw that. I ended up trading... Stefan Diggs and Eric Ebron for Justin Jefferson and a uh, this year's second round pick. So I want to know your opinions on that. I definitely like it as a type of rebuild type of trade for sure. Justin Jefferson seems yeah, to be a pretty good player, and the second round pick next year could always help. Eric Ebron's value isn't really that high. Yeah, I was just glad to get him off the books. Right. So basically, you traded Stefan Diggs for Justin Jefferson. Stefan Diggs has played really well, so this Ste- could turn Steph- out to bite Stephon like, has bite played, like... yeah, you're right. Stefan has definitely played real well, but as a as a long term type of dynasty move, if you could get Justin Jefferson, who already looks to be pretty well, pretty good, and then a second round pick, which is basically another dart throw, I I think in the long term that trade is definitely a win for you. Yeah, yeah, and the, and the thing is, is I think in that league, I'm gonna try to just get young assets because i have saquon barkley and saquon barkley is out for the rest of the year and i started to own three so to put into context what i'm really going through in the dynasty league it's where i definitely need to rebuild and being able to get justin jefferson is good i'm going to try to get cd lamb eventually i don't know who has him but cd lamb is a guy who if he's valued too high he could be valued way too high by the owner in the dynasty league but he's definitely an option in dynasty that i would be taking a, a dart at along justin jefferson almost every time Right, I completely agree with you there. Um, I kind of think I need to do the same. Um, I know heading in to week three or week four, I was one and two, and it doesn't look like I'm gonna get a win. So I'm gonna be one and three. I should probably also head into uh, rebuild mode and try to trade some of my players for um, younger, uh, younger assets and some draft picks. Is there any waiver wire picks that you see in this game at all? The Vikings and uh, Texans. The Vikings, no. There's not really anyone. And then the Texans, 
mean, maybe if you drop Duke Johnson, pick him up as insurance for David Johnson and Jordan Aikens. I, I like Jordan Aikens. Right. Uh, and I think he has some potential. Completely uh, agree. The thing is, is obviously Darren Fells is Darren Fells is still there. So it's like Jordan Aikens is good, and I have him as my tight end one in the dynasty or in a twenty man league. But it's a twenty man league, so at the same time, I got depth at, at every other position. But at the same time, you still have to deal with Darren Fells, and you still have every other option on this team. But it'll be interesting to see how they do things without Philip Ryan. Right. All right. So we'll head on to the next game. Browns versus the Cowboys. The Browns upset the Cowboys and put up 49 points in the process, beating the Cowboys 49-38. to uh, Stars of the game, uh, Dak Prescott put up 37 points. Odell put up 33. Uh, Kareem Hunt scored 19 and uh, taking over for the injured Nick Chubb, who is expected to be out for, I believe, uh, three to four weeks. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Mari Cooper and C.D. Lamb also have big games, scoring 21 and so 20 six points. Six to seven weeks. Six to seven? All right. I thought... It's a great two-in deal. All right. Uh, I, just, I think I remember seeing three to four, but I, again, like I said, I wasn't completely sure of that. Um, so, when we look at this, though, as Baker Mayfield honestly didn't do super great. He did okay. He was solid. But Odell Beckham was pretty much the star of the game. He had five catches for 81 yards and two touchdowns. He also had two rushes for 73 yards and a, and a touchdown. And Jarvis Landry is the one who threw one of those uh, Odell Beckham touchdowns. So that kind of hurt uh, Mayfield's value a little bit. Uh, Mayfield attempted 30 passes, completed 19 of them for only 165 yards and two touchdowns. Mayfield also had three rushing attempts, only managing to get two yards per attempt and getting six rushing yards total. So, overall, uh, Browns did really well, and it was mainly because of Odell Beckham and Kareem Hunt. And actually, the... um, the backup running back to Kareem Hunt, uh, what's his name? Ernst Johnson. Ernst Johnson actually had more rushing attempts than uh, Kareem Hunt and more rushing yards, but Kareem Hunt had more points due to the two touchdowns. And then Dallas, who played from behind for a majority of the game, uh, was forced to throw. Dak throwed 58 times in the game, completing 41 of the passes for 502 passing yards four touchdowns, and one interception. And then Elliott was pretty quiet in this game, only having 12 rushes for 54 yards. But at the same time, was able to help kind of combat some of that with eight receptions for 71 yards. Yeah, so some, some things to keep note on. Dak Prescott is having a historic season. Um, if you pace it out to 16 games, pretty sure he's averaging 6,300 passing yards and I think 60-something touchdowns, which is absolutely ridiculous. I, if you can get pieces on this, on this Dallas Cowboys team, you should because this defense is terrible and uh, their offense is historic. Uh, I would be willing to take a shot on Cooper, Gallup, Lamb, and Schultz. Um, Gallup didn't have a great game, but Gallup. You see the target share. You'll see it for each team to where... Gallup's going to have his games every once in a while. CeeDee Lamb's going to have his games every once in a while. There'll be an Amari Cooper breakout every once in a while. 
and then there'll be Dalton Schultz, which had four uh, four receptions for 72 yards and a touchdown. So I think at this point he is a tight end one. Um, I think he'll probably be a tight end 11-12 when I rank it out. Uh, Jarvis Landry is the best quarterback on the Browns. Um, <laughs> best QB rating. So I think that's good to realize. And something to take note of, Odell Beckham is a sell high. I'm more than certain on that. He only had five receptions while doing all of this. So I think it's what you normally see with a zone run blocking or with a zone run scheme. So when you have only five receptions, you're not always going to have two touchdowns and then one touchdown on the ground. So I think it's something you should definitely sell high on. Do I think he's going to completely bust after this? No, but I don't think he'll receive the volume enough to be a top wide receiver, and you could probably get a lot for him. And then the last thing on the Kareem Hunt, Dearness Johnson thing, Kareem Hunt was questionable and was actually at one point real doubtful coming into this game. So I think they were, as soon as they got up, they wanted to preserve him a little bit. So I'd imagine Kareem Hunt gets more rushing attempts than Dearness Johnson does. Dearness Johnson's a waiver wide I read probably going to be around 70 bucks in the 20-man league uh, of your fab. It's literally going to be a bidding warrant to Ernest Johnson for some reason. But Kareem Hunt will take around 70 to 80% of the opportunities. Don't be worried about that. Kareem Hunt will definitely be a running back one or a low RB2, or sorry, a high-end RB2. And Ernest Johnson will just be the kind of the Kareem Hunt in the backfield with less receiving work than Kareem Hunt had when Nick Chubb was there. Right, I completely agree. I know I mentioned that Cream Hunt had uh, less uh, rushing attempts, but heading into this game, uh, like you mentioned, Cream Hunt was questionable, and he was actually supposed to be limited whenever he was uh, deemed active. The only reason uh, that he ended up uh, doing more than he normally would was because of the uh, Nick Chubb injury, but... Uh, yeah, completely agree. Dearness Johnson is definitely a waiver wire ad. He's now the official RB2 on the Browns while Nick Chubb is dealing with the uh, MCL injury, I believe, who actually um, is owned in, correct me if I'm wrong, 0% of leagues or like 1% of yeah, leagues. It's actually, it's actually 0.0. So Yeah, he's not, not owned at all. So he's... But, you know, knowing your luck, he probably won't be available in your league. But there's he's not owned at all. Uh, Tony Pollard ha- was able to steal a touchdown from Ezekiel Elliott with the three rushing yards. and Or, sorry, three rushes and 16 rushing yards. Um, if Ezekiel Elliott got that touchdown, he would have had a decent game. Um, you might be able to buy low on Ezekiel Elliott. He's still a consistent top five guy every year. And the fact that his offense is scoring lots of points, eventually the touchdowns will definitely come his way. So, and, uh, yeah, have no worries in Ezekiel. Elliott. Yeah, have no worries in Ezekiel um, Elliott. Um, uh, Ezekiel Elliott's yeah, a buy low, and like you mentioned, Odell's definitely a sell high for waiver wire pickups. Uh, Durrance Johnson is definitely one. Uh, Dalton Schultz is definitely a decent tight end this year, and you should definitely look to add him if he's available. And if you need tight end help. And that's pretty much it, really. But yeah, uh, CD... nothing much to that game other than that. CD Lamb and Justin and Justin Jefferson seem to be, like, some of the best rookie receivers this year so far. Yeah, and Dynasty must pads. D- Dynasty. D- like, you could trade for them. Like, you need them on your team if you're looking for a rebuild. Because uh, I know you traded for Justin Jefferson, so that's a great move. 
All right. But Justin Jefferson is a fantastic dynasty option. Fantastic. Because eventually he'll have to become the wide receiver one for the Vikings whenever uh, Thielen, uh, Thielen leaves. Because I'm pretty sure Thielen won't be there forever. All right. So yeah, next, sure. next game, uh, Ravens versus the Washington football team. The Ravens, uh, not surprisingly, win thirty-one to seventeen. Uh, stars of the game: Lamar Jackson, as usual, scored uh, twenty-five points. Mark Andrews managed to score seventeen, which is good for a tight end. Uh, Dwayne Haskins got eighteen, which is solid and respectable. Antonio Gibson got 18, and Terry McLaurin got 11. So, yeah, so one. There's definitely things to keep in mind here. Wait, hold on. Where are you going? Oh, sorry. Okay. So, one, one really interesting key and one interesting thing to note in the Ravens game is that Gus the Bus Edwards actually had the most rushing attempts of any running back in the Baltimore Ravens backfield. Uh, Ingram had eight, Dobbins had five, but Gus Edwards was able to get nine. Uh, what's the snap Gus, count breakdown on those running backs? So it is a little inflated because they use Gus Edwards when they're winning in games. So I don't think it's going to stay this way, but Gus Edwards had 40%, J.K. Dobbins had 35 and Mark Ingram had 26. Dobbins will be used a lot more. Gus Edwards will be used less in a game that they're actually competing. But they put RG3 in this game at, after the third quarter. So I think there's not much to really worry about. And uh, I think something you forgot to point out is that uh, Sam Cook is the best quarterback on the Ravens outside of Tracy McSorley. One for one, 15 yards. That was an absolute missile that he threw to Miles Boykin. Yes. So, and um. then on the, uh, the Washington football team, Antonio Gibson is starting to look really good. The issue with him is that he's not getting the snaps, but I think something where if you have a talented guy didn't play a lot of running back in college he played more wide receiver than he did in college only had 33 carries as a running back in college so with Gibson I think it'll take time but he definitely is a guy that could have a really good season end of game he just needs to learn the intricacies of being a running back making sure he has pass pro and that's the reason JD McKissick is leading in snaps because Gibson is new to the running back position doesn't know some of the past pros and that's something we'll see with a lot of young running backs so that's something to keep in mind gibson could be a guy moving forward that we could absolutely keep note on in dynasty and then towards the end of the season right completely agree another interesting thing to note that you've mentioned is mckissick is getting the higher snap share but one thing if you were to look at the receiving uh the receiving stats for the uh, redskin or not the redskins the football team's uh, backfield is that Gibson only had four receptions, whereas McKissick had seven, which is kind of surprising to see. But on those seven receptions, McKissick wasn't very good and was only able to put up 40 receiving yards, where uh, Antonio Gibson was able to put up 82, basically showing that Gibson is the much better pass-catching running back and that McKissick is an okay player, but McKissick, it'd be, best, it'd be in the best interest of both the football team and fantasy owners that uh, Gibson would get more work. Yeah, I think it has something to do with Ron Rivera, and I think they're just working in Gibson um, because he's just not, he's very new to the running back position. So I think that's the main reason. But um, something to keep an eye on with that is 
see if his snap share keeps on going up eventually. So that's the thing. So if he has, if he continues to get 60 to 70 snaps and gets a lot of opportunity, there's going to be a point where they're going to have to start him over McKissick. The only reason they're starting McKissick is because he's a better pass pro. He's, he's the more polished running back, but Gibson is definitely talent outweighs everything almost all the time. So I think that's something we need to keep an eye on. And then, that that's all I have for this game. Um, besides Logan Thomas is borderline droppable at this point. Yeah, Logan Thomas had a good week one, but afterwards, not a whole lot to show for it. Uh, there's not a t- there's no really good waiver wire options in this game either. Uh, do you agree? Um, I think. Let me look at it. Miles Boykin, no. There's not really anyone. Maybe Isaiah Wright, if you're worried about Steven Sims, it could be a good one, like, if you're in a 20-man, or even Dontrell Inman. But at that point, it's just not worth it. There's nobody really to invest in either team. Right, and if you somehow have uh, Gus Edwards, he's definitely, I guess, a sell high, but even then, you're not going to get a lot for him. Uh, like you mentioned, you, you don't... Gus Edwards a sell high. I, I did. Uh, Gus Edwards is the tight end, or sorry, the running back one. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, he, no, he's a, he's a sell high because uh, it's gonna. Uh, I feel like this is should be Dobbins' backfield here in a few weeks. I think Dobbins will take control of it, but for now he's pretty much happen, stuck right? in a committee. Give it one week. There's gonna be a Gus the bus chant, and he's just gonna get every snap from that point on. So <laughs> yeah, wouldn't surprise me. Nothing surprised me at this point with the NFL. So, on to the next game. It's the uh, New Orleans Saints versus the Detroit Lions. The Saints, unsurprisingly, win this game 35-29. to uh, Some honorable, uh, some good play, sorry, some of the stars of the game was, surprisingly, Latavius Murray, who actually outscored Alvin Kamara, having 20 points where Alvin Kamara had uh, 18 Matthew Stafford was able to put up a solid 22 points. Kenny Galladay coming, finally coming back from injury and actually uh, playing, I believe, this week. And I think he played last week as well, had 12 points. DeAndre Swift had the most fantasy points in the Lions backfield with 11.2. And uh, Traquan Smith was the best receiver on the Saints uh, after the Michael Thomas injury with 17.4 fantasy points. Drew Brees... What's your thoughts on Drew Brees? Is he a uh, droppable candidate now? Because he hasn't played super well this year. And there's been I lots of QBs. I think Drew Brees is droppable. I think when you look at his numbers, it's tough to argue that he'll be bad. But it's also tough to argue that he had the upside that what we thought would happen going into the year. I saw some people who said he had like top five, top seven upside, which I just... I had him at, tight, or at quarterback eight, which is around there. But I think Brees... You know what you're going to get with him. You know you're going to get dump-offs to Michael Thomas. You know you're going to get dump-offs to Traquan Smith. You're, you know you're going to get dump-offs to Alvin, or Alvin Kamara, if I said him already. It was Michael Thomas, uh, one of the flip-flops. But that's what you're looking at. So I think it's something that you have to keep into account, um, that Kamara and Michael Thomas are going to be PPR gods at the end of this year. They're just going to get a lot of receptions. So I think that's something that you need to keep in mind. You should limit on what you expect from Drew Brees. I don't think we're, we're expecting less than what we thought of going into the year. But I think going on that, I think it actually benefits Kamara and Michael Thomas even more. Right. Completely agree um, with 
with the solid options on the waiver wire, like Fitzpatrick I've mentioned, Minshew I've mentioned, and another one in Justin Herbert. Um, and there's also others, but those are the three that come on the top of my head. Um, I would honestly at this point probably rather have some of those options other over Breeze. Breeze is solid, but like like I, we mentioned, he hasn't been doing too well, whereas these other options have uh, done pr- pretty solid. And unless you're in a deep league, Breeze is borderline droppable. Uh, Kamara, Kamara is really good. Uh, I think we all know that by now. He's used heavily in both the rush game and the pass game. He can do well in almost any game, and he's game script proof, which is one of the best things you can look for in a running back. Uh, what is the snap share a breakdown in the Lions backfield? We all know that most of the year it's been a committee, but is anybody emerging that could be a decent option rest of season? Um, this backfield changes every week, so then again, we we don't necessarily know. At this point, it was... So for this week, it was Adrian Peterson with 43%, DeAndre Swift for 38%, and Kerryon Johnson with 20 Though from last week, DeAndre Swift had 8%. Though it's a lot better for Swift, but at the same time, it's still a committee. At least Ty Johnson is no longer part of it, but it's still a three-man committee with AP leading the way in running, and then Swift getting a lot of the passing work. Right. I was just going to mention that Swift only had four uh, rushing attempts, but Swift also had four... Uh, receptions for 30 yards and a touchdown so if swift can uh get involved in the pass game and continue what he's been doing like he did this week uh we could see swift eventually hopefully take over the uh lead back role but the only problem is that matt patricia is there and he's pretty stubborn about having a running back committee that's the thing that's the thing about uh fantasy though is you is you always bet sometimes we all bet on these committee running backs and we hope they get the lead back rule but the coaches are just too stubborn to let the better player get the majority of the touches and that pretty much kills a lot of their fantasy value and it's always really disappointing for sure i think twift and ap there's no reason carry on johnson should be on the field adrian peterson at least looks somewhat decent um at least in the rushing game which is terrible but as of right now, DeAndre Swift does look decent, but I don't think he should be getting the workhorse role just yet. I thought he should be at the beginning of the year, but he definitely has a little bit of flaws in his game. But So yeah, Peterson is a guy that in a standard league you, you might want to do, um, but DeAndre Swift is definitely the more PPR friendly, but he could be droppable depending on what other options you have on your in your rosters. But yeah, that, that's what I'm looking at moving forward, and then there's not really a lot of waiver wire ads that I'm looking at for this week right in this game I agree so one of the surprising things that I was uh shocked on is I thought TJ Hawkinson would have a, a really good game against the Saints who have been terrible to tight end so far this year apparently except for this week TJ Hawkinson was only able to get two receptions for nine yards and a touchdown so he wasn't super involved in the pass game he got the touchdown which made him kind of startable but I was expecting a lot more from TJ Hawkinson. Because if you were to look at the at the points allowed by the Saints, it hasn't been very good at all this season. And I thought he was due for like a lot better of a game. When Kenny Galladay got a touchdown, which was a good thing, helped him get the 12 fantasy points, four receptions, 62 yards. As far as pass catchers go, it's pretty much just Galladay. 
this week. And then Marvin Jones disappointed with only one reception for nine yards. He kind of disappeared this week. Are you concerned about? Uh, didn't throw him. Are you concerned? Didn't throw much, so that's the real. Yeah, that's the that's the real deal. Only thirty one attempts by Stafford. Only two hundred yards. Right, only only two hundred yards. Uh, when we look at that, this overall this game, neither team really passed a whole lot, and um, Drew Brees is a borderline drop. Uh, Cardinals versus Panthers. Uh, Panthers surprise and beat the Cardinals thirty-one twenty-one. DeAndre Hopkins has the first his first bad game of the year, only scoring four point one points. Kyler Murray pretty much proves that he's a solid every week start and continues to put up 20 or more points and scored 23 this week. Teddy Bridgewater had a solid performance with 26 points. Mike Davis had 17 and so far filled in the shoes for Christian McCaffrey pretty well. Chase Edmonds outscores Kenyon Drake and has 10 points. And that's pretty much it on the Cardinals. It was Kyler Murray who got 23 and Edmonds who got 10. Nobody else was startable. And then... Teddy Bridgewater got 26, and Mike, Div- or Mike Davis got 17. They were pretty much only startable options on the Panthers. Uh, it was a high-scoring game, but not a lot of startable options in this one. Yeah, uh, some, some things to keep in mind. DeAndre Hopkins, his worst game, he still had seven receptions. So in a PPR format, you shouldn't be worried at all about him. Still had 11 PPR fantasy points, which is, again, lower than his projection. But that's what he's known for. His ADOT or his average uh, depth of target is actually really low. So it's kind of something you should expect. Um, the Chase Edmonds Kenyon Drake thing is something we could get later into a debate. Um, I I think Drake is someone that might be the biggest bust of the year. But then again, we could. I, I want to jinx that because I have Kenyon Drake in a good amount of leagues. I think he's just getting out on the wrong foot, and this could be where Chase Edmonds takes over the backfield, or it could be where Kenyon Drake finishes like he finished last year. So that's something to keep in mind with that. And then the Panthers, Robbie Anderson. I don't know about you, but Robbie Anderson has looked like the wide receiver one on this team. And then Mike Davis just looks really good. And Mike Davis actually has um, – he just looks like – good replacement for Christian McCaffrey and has put up borderline RB one, two numbers with CMC out. Right. Completely agree. Uh, Robbie Anderson was definitely a surprise for me. I feel, I thought DJ Moore would be, would be the guy to own in the uh, Carolina receiving core, but Robbie Anderson proved me wrong. Robbie Anderson has done pretty well. He has, he had eight receptions for 99 yards coming just shy of the hundred yard mark. Uh, DJ Moore, though, what's your thoughts on DJ Moore? Is he a buy low for you? Because I, I believe he's a buy low. Uh, I believe he's a buy low, but not to the extent that some people. Um, there were people that were really, really high on DJ Moore. I know some even had him at like wide receiver 6 and 7, which I just couldn't see. Um, DJ Moore is a guy you could buy low on, but at the same time, limit the expectations. Um, last year, he had the is the main guy last year and there wasn't really anyone else there so at the same time we could see a second half breakout like last year but at the same time Robbie Anderson is still here and Robbie Anderson is still taking targets so I think he's a buy low but not at the price that you would be looking for at in terms of what he did last year right you would be looking yeah. you would be looking to buy low with the expectations 
of a possible wide receiver two type season versus a wide receiver one, correct? Yes, that's exactly what I would be looking for. Right, I completely agree. Um, but like you mentioned, Mike Davis looks very solid in replacement to CMC. Obviously, CMC was the overall consensus number one pick this year, and he'll be back soon. But Mike Davis has been a very good replacement. He had 16 rushes. Uh, CMC is a poor man's Mike Davis. <laughs> <laughs> 16 rushes for Mike Davis, five, rece- five receptions, 27 receiving yards, 84 rushing yards, and a touchdown. Been been pretty solid, and in DFS, he's been a good play the last couple weeks. Yeah, for sure. Um, Mike Davis is definitely just looking like the best, like the RB one ball. Like Mike Davis, just he, he's just a legend. And then with the Cardinals, I think the real thing that we need to talk about is the Kenny and Drake Chase Edmonds drama. Right. So Kenyon Drake, I agree, he's arguably one of the biggest busts this year so far. Um, however, though, I think we could see a bounce back, but I wouldn't be too um i wouldn't be too confident in it uh Kenyon drake has uh been a boomer bust type of player and if you were to look at his stats last year that's kind of what it was last year it's the same deal he uh, he had uh some games where he did really well and other games where he kind of disappointed so he isn't the consistent safe option that everybody thought he would be kind of heading into this year so there's always room um and there's always matchups for him where he could easily boom and have improvement games, but I don't think he should be a guy who you expect to do super well every week. Drake is Drake is just not looking the greatest. Um, we thought, especially me, I know in my case, I thought Drake was going to be really good, not to the extent of him finishing as the RB4 last year and then Arizona running backs finishing as the RB3 if they combine. So that's the real thing. The Cardinals' offensive line, A, doesn't look that good. Um, B, Drake, I think another issue that we could be talking about is Drake, be the walking boot was actually, instead of precautionary, maybe he actually is hurt because he just doesn't look as explosive as he used to be. Same thing with David Johnson last year. But I think Kenyon Drake is someone who, maybe this injury is getting to him, maybe, but at the same time. Chase Edmonds just looks better, and Drake just hasn't gotten targets, which is a big issue. Right. So if Chase Edmonds is available on your waiver wire, um, definitely give him a pickup because he has a good chance at becoming the the guy with the most touches on the Cardinals' backfield, and he could take over and have a good season. But personally, myself, I think Kenyon Drake, I'm I'm pretty sure he has to play the Jets here soon, and he has a couple other weak matchups. And in those games, I think Kenyon Drake will boom. But for other matchups, uh, he's a questionable start. And you should definitely temper expectations. But if you own Kenyon Drake, you should definitely be looking to get Edmonds as a handcuff. For sure. All right. On to our next game, Chargers-Buccaneers. So this one was a really good game. It was a shootout. Buccaneers end up winning 38-31. to uh, Tom Brady and Justin Herbert both have good fantasy days. Tom Brady was able to score 32 fantasy points. Justin Herbert was able to score uh, 23. Um, I think my points may be off. I think I'm going off a of standard league, so I didn't realize that I was doing that. But overall, 
<laughs> yeah, I I hate standard leagues. But overall, uh, both teams did really solid. Both QBs did really solid. Mike Evans was able to put up 18 points. Scotty Miller was able to put up 14. And, uh, oh, what was it? Uh, Eckler also got injured, and he's going to be out for, um, what was the time frame? Maybe that was the one who was three to four weeks. Eckler was four to six weeks. Four to six. All right. Yeah. I don't know why I keep thinking of three to four weeks. But uh, that was the original diagnosis on Chubb. But Chubb has a grade two MCL sprain, so he, according to Fantasy Docs, he is out for six to seven weeks. I see. So uh, Herbert looks like a solid QB play if you are in need of QB help. Herbert has done pretty well, and Keenan Allen continues to be uh, Keenan Allen and put up Keenan Allen type numbers. Eight receptions, sixty-two yards. He's getting the volume although he hasn't scored the touchdown in this game. Um, Joshua Kelly and Justin Jackson now have the backfield to themselves with Eckler out for the next four to six weeks. If Justin Jackson's available in your fantasy leagues, you should definitely go pick him up. Robert Kelly should be owned, but again, always search the wire just in case. Cause they will... I'm going to let you know you said Rob Kelly. That, that oh. was a G back in three, day, three years ago. Oh. Good old Fat Rob, if you remember him on the Redskins. Oh yeah, Fat Rob Kelly. Goat. I mean, I'm sorry, I meant Joshua Kelly. So Joshua Kelly and Justin Jackson are likely going to be splitting carries for the next four to six weeks with Eckler out. Both should be at least considered, um, would, wouldn't you agree, like at least a flex a flex play? Especially for uh, Joshua Kelly. Joshua Kelly's definitely like an RB2, I believe. Yeah, Josh Kelly is someone that you could throw in your flex. I think I would lean to other options sometimes. Um, he's definitely not a must-start for me, but he's definitely a guy that you should be looking at in your flex. And I think the bigger thing is Ronald Jones had a great game, although Keyshawn Vaughn looked like he was getting a lot of the receptions down the stretch. Um, so when they were in a passing offense, it seemed like Keyshawn Vaughn was still utilized quite a bit, actually. Um, they still had Ronald Jones being used a lot, which is good. He had 26 total touches. Uh, Mike Evans looks good. Scotty Miller looks good. This whole Bucks offense is looking really good. And Tom Brady, Tom Brady's looking like it's top eight quarterback option. And then with Justin Herbert, Justin Herbert actually looks really good. 20 for 25, three, three touchdowns. He's definitely a guy that, like you said, is a waiver wire ad. Um, and he, he actually looks really good. I'm shocked because I didn't think he was ready for the season when he was thrusted into the starting job with Tyrod out. But he's looking really good so far. Right. I don't think Tyrod gets his job back whenever he's healthy. I think Justin Herbert has definitely outplayed him, and he's probably going to keep it for the rest of the season. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like you mentioned, Ronald Jones looks like a really good play. He had the tw- he had 20 rushing attempts, and even more important, he had the six receptions. Is able to get 17 receiving yards and 111 rushing yards on those uh, attempts. And with Fournette out, he capitalized and he did had a pretty decent game. But yeah, but most then... but most importantly, uh, Brady looked really good in this game. 369 passing yards and five touchdowns. Nice. And the passing attack with yes, very nice. And the passing attack was on fire. With Evans and Miller, even with Godwin out, it proved that they still have um, good receiving options. 
Yeah, for sure. And then a game that just didn't look good from the whole beginning, the Giants-Rams game. I don't know if you want to talk about this game much, but this game just didn't look that good. Uh, yeah, just a couple things I wanted to mention, though. Uh, Scotty Miller is definitely a waiver wire ad this week if he's available. And if Godwin's out, that's another. Right, if either Evans or Godwin is out, like it's been most of the year, uh, Scotty Miller is definitely a play to put into your lineups. And I would just have him on the bench and as a waiver ad just in case. And then Justin Herbert and either of the two uh, Chargers running backs, they need to be on on your uh, rosters. So we'll go ahead and get on to we'll get on to that Giants and Rams game. This game was just completely ugly. There is barely any points scored into it. It's like that uh, Patriots and Rams Super Bowl, but worse, basically. Yeah, that, like does that this, make sense? It's like this Patriots-Chiefs game that's going on right now. It's <laughs> terrible. Right. Rams, Rams scored yeah, 17... Brown, right. Rams scored 17 points, and the New York Giants scored 9. Uh, nobody, nobody really did well. Uh, Daniel Jones only had 10 points. Jared Goff only had 11. Cooper Cup is maybe the only startable option who got 12, and that's not even that great. And uh, the Rams defense had 12 points. So they were they were the only really good option. Everybody else did absolutely terrible. Uh, running back breakdown. Uh, Freeman had the most rushing attempts with 11. Galman had 6. And Deion Lewis only had 1. And uh, Lewis also had 2 receptions. Whereas Freeman had 4. So overall, it looks like Freeman has a decent lock in uh, the Giants' backfield. Uh, what was the uh, snap share breakdown in the Giants' backfield? Yeah, for sure. So the snap share, um, right. but Devontae Freeman had 60%. Gallman had, or I think it was Gallman and Dion Lewis both had 25%. Royce, or sorry, Devontae Freeman looked like he was the main guy, and that was one of the things I was going to point out. So out of, there are the four things I wanted to point out were Two of them were the, the snap shares on both sides. Devontae Freeman looks like he'll be the main guy moving forward, although Wayne Gallman averaged more uh, rushing the, the football. And then on the other side, Malcolm Brown and Daryl Henderson. We did not expect Malcolm Brown to take 61%, and we all said to start Darrell Henderson. They've been running the ball at a really good clip. They, they showed their fourth in the league right now in rushing percentage like on plays. And then so... It's going to be interesting to see with Cam Akers coming back. This running back group is just not something you want to touch moving forward. And then Cooper Cup obviously had a great game. Robert Woods was uh, being covered by James Bradbury, so he kind of got limited. But Cooper Cup had the slot role, and Cooper Cup thrived really well because the Giants' slot cornerback, I think, is coverage-wise, is ranked one of the worst in the league. Right. Another thing to mention is that uh, Tyler Higby kind of had a disappointing game. He only had three receptions and 21 yards. Yeah, not, for sure. Not very, not very impressive. But overall, not there wasn't a whole lot in this game where you can say, "Wow, this was a great game." The only players who did well was the Rams defense and uh, Cooper Cup. And the only promising thing that we're looking at is that Devonta Freeman should be the ru- Giants running back to own rest of season. At one hundred percent. All right, only got three more games to cover, and then we're gonna uh, get into your guys' questions. 
we, we can go and move through these quickly. That way we can get to the, the questions. But I, I'm interested to know what your take is on Colts-Bears game because there's a lot of people holding back on Jonathan Taylor moving forward. Oh, um, I feel that that's definitely a mistake. Jonathan Taylor just simply had a tough matchup this week. The Bears' run defense is pretty good. Yeah, I would agree with that. There's there's some people that are holding back a little bit on him because I think we gave him too much hype because some people said he was a like RB one to five, which is just ridiculous. I don't know why people will give that much expectation to him. Marlon Mack didn't do that when he was the only guy in the backfield. Zach Pascal had a really good game, and then the Bears side, Vin Montgomery didn't have a good game, but he still looks like. He had 83% of snaps, so it looks like he's going to be the workhorse and someone you can buy low on for this week. Right. Again, a player that we mentioned in the last podcast, Allen Robinson, had a solid, respectable game of 16 fantasy points. Again, I still think he's a wide receiver one going forward as long as Nick Foles is the QB because he targets him quite heavily. Nick Foles had a disappointing game, only had 11 points, although I doubt many people were starting him to begin with. Philip Rivers also only had 11 points. And like, like we mentioned before, Jonathan Taylor, definitely do not um, do not count him out yet and definitely don't sell him. He's more or less a buy low, actually. Um, this is kind of... Um, it's, so it's just an ugly, low-scoring game. And Jonathan Taylor had to face one of the best rush defenses in the league. And there will definitely bounce back because I can guarantee you his schedule was a lot better heading forward. And like you mentioned, uh, Zach Pascal looks to be the best wide receiver to own so far in the Colts, actually, because he has the, uh, I believe you said he had the slot role, basically, and that's the position that thrives under Phillip Rivers. Yeah, so that he's a guy I'm looking at moving forward. Jimmy Graham had a decent game, so I think in PPR, maybe you could take a shot on him. Not something I would be too excited about. Darnell Mooney is a decent, decent dynasty ad if he's on your waivers but that's the only way I would take a chance on him. And other than that, there's not really too much to talk about with this game otherwise. Mo Valley Cox only had one target, so that's an issue. Um, I wouldn't touch any of these Colts tight ends moving forward. Wow. Uh, one other little interesting fact is, uh, not to get political or anything, but this is just something I saw, uh, saw on uh, Instagram earlier, is that the Colts-Bears game that plays every four years has been the factor of actually the presidential election. So back for the last four or five games, if the Colts win, uh, the Republicans win the presidency, and if the Bears win, the Democrats win the presidency. So just just an interesting fact that I found. It is. We, we shall see if that, uh, if that continues moving forward or if that streak is broken. Right. There's always a chance that uh, it will be broken. Bills Raiders will be the next game you look at. The Bills won thirty to twenty seven. Uh, Raiders actually did pretty decent. They did better than I thought they would do. Derek Carr was able to put up a twenty point performance. Josh Allen continues to be a really good QB and had a twenty five point performance. Uh, Nelson Aguilar was an okay plug and play in a deep league. He was able to get ten points. Uh, I can't remember i believe i picked him up and played him in our 20-man league it was an okay play uh devin singletary is able to score 13 points and stefan diggs remained uh borderline startable with 11 not too shabby 
Uh, Josh Allen had a terrible rushing performance this week, though. He's only got three rushing uh, attempts and had negative one yards, but also somehow scored a touchdown. If that makes yeah, sense. There's, there's, there's a few things to keep in mind here. Um, with the Bills side, Josh Allen still looked good. Um, he didn't have as good of a game as uh, we normally saw from him this or sorry, this regular season. But it's also because, like, towards the end of the game, he landed on his shoulder. So after that, he didn't really perform as well as he did earlier on in the game. Stefan Diggs had a good game. He's the only guy outside of Singletary if Moss is out that I would start at all. Gabriel Davis is, again, he only got one target, so we can't really trust him moving forward unless you're in a dynasty option and he's on your taxi squad. And then with this Raiders team, you have Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacobs kind of disappointed. Um with 15 rushes for 48 yards, and he's not really involved in the passing game, only 3 for 25. But Darren Waller is going to stay as the tight end, or going to stay as the top five tight end option. And Hunter Renfro, whenever Ruggs is out, will actually see a good amount of time. And I think Renfro is a guy we could be looking at whenever Ruggs is out as a PPR option that you should have. Right. I, I completely agree. Waller uh, remains an elite tight end. Renfro is a good waiver wire add. Jacob slightly disappointed. I uh, agree with you on there. But tough matchup against the Buffalo Bills defense, and it's actually another decent buy low candidate. Uh, if you could if you could sell uh, Joe Mixon for Jacobs, would you do it? Joe Mixon for Josh Jacobs? Yep. Joe Mixon yes, for Josh I think that's actually possible now because I feel some Mixon owners, or, some, or I mean some Jacobs owners, would be willing to part uh, with Jacobs after seeing what he's done this week and what uh, Mixon has done this week. It's entirely possible. So it's a decent uh, trade idea. De- I agree with you. Uh, Devin Singletary is startable with Moss out. With Moss in the backfield and playing, he hasn't done near as well, but whenever Moss is out, Singletary has done pretty well. And then Diggs is, Diggs is the only wide receiver op or only receiving option that's start-worthy in the Buffalo Bills. For sure. And then the award for the worst game of the week, by far, goes to the Eagles 49ers game. <laughs> this game, with Nick Mullins playing terrible, the entire team's of these just injured. There's George Kittle and then nobody else. Right. So in PPR formats, I'm pretty sure George Kittle scored... Uh, 40 points, I believe, but on the scoring that I'm looking at, he scored 25 points, easily had the most points in the game. Carson Wentz had an okay 21 points, which I feel like 20 points is solid for a QB. Jarek McKinnon had a 15-point game, pretty solid. Philadelphia Eagles defense, 14 points. And Brandon Ayuk was the best receiving option outside of Kittle with an 11.6-point performance. Uh, Sanders continues to look like he, um, he struggled a little bit, but he does have the lead in the backfield with 13 carries versus Clement, who only had two, and Boston Scott, who also had two. What's the, uh, snap share breakdown between the two backfields? Because this is kind of interesting. We've both seen, uh, where Sanders has kind of disappointed, and in San Francisco has been, uh, dealing with injuries. Yeah, um, so the 49ers actually had Jarek McKinnon out there 90% of the time, which is very interesting. Jeff Wilson with only 8%. And then with the Eagles, 
Miles Sanders got 80%, which is expected. He's the workhorse in this backfield. I don't think you should worry about him too much. But with every single weapon outside of him just hurt, obviously he's not going to have the same yards per carry or yards per touch that he normally had. But he had 80%. Adrian Killens, which I've never heard of this dude, he had a whopping one carry for negative 12 yards, was out there 14% of the time, and then Boston Scott was 12%. Pretty solid. Uh, Greg Ward was able to uh, get four receptions for 38 yards. Not a uh, great performance. Uh, Zach Ertz may be one of the bigger uh, tight end busts this year. Even with a injured Dallas Goddard, was only able to get nine yards on four receptions. That's not very good. Yeah, when you when you get beat out in yards by your tight end three Richard Rogers, right, there's something you're doing wrong. Yeah, this was a game he was supposed to pop off. And this is one thing that I've been calling out all off season is that Zach Ertz is somebody that I was avoiding, and Dallas Goddard was a dynasty target for mine. I had him in the uh, duo dynasty league. I don't remember. I may have dropped him. That may have been a mistake, but. Uh, Dallas Goddard was pretty solid, uh, and he was a great dynasty option, especially because uh, Zach Ertz is definitely not going to be in the Eagles for a ton longer, especially if he keeps up the play he has right now. Yeah, for sure. And then we have the uh, San Francisco QB duo of Nick Mullins and CJ Beathard. Uh, neither of them really did good. Uh, Mullins threw two interceptions. Bethard only had 138 yards on 19 attempts. This game was pretty much a Kittle game and a McKinnon game who had an okay game, but Kittle dominated this game. He was pretty much the only player who you can say did very well. Yeah, there, there's literally not much to talk about this game. This game was an absolute just bloodbath to watch. Yeah, it was um, terrible. It, it was worse than the Thursday night football game, and like that's saying a lot. Yeah, uh, nobody wanted to watch the Thursday night football game. Nobody wanted to watch the Giants Rams game. But this simply just outbeat it. C.J. Beathard and Nick Mullins look like they shouldn't even be on the XFL roster. So, right. Um, so moving forward, no, I I played Nick Mullins in the dynasty league because I was down, I was down Ryan Tannehill and I was down uh, Ben Roethlisberger. So I had to start Nick Mullins. He got me more than zero. Good. That's what I would have had if I would have started um, him or Brett Rippon, which also did terrible. But he, he's definitely the reason I lost that week, which I'm trying to lose anyway, so it's not that big of a deal. Right, you got to get the uh, better draft picks for next next season. Exactly, tank for Trevor, baby. Except no tank for tank for ETN. All right, so you want to go ahead and move on to the questions? Yeah, we'll go ahead and move on to the questions. I'll go ahead and start it off. All uh, right, this is from. Uh, one of our good buddies, Jode, who said, does Julio finish his career with the Falcons? And I think he does, personally. I think that's really not a debate. I think with Calvin, it'll it'll be a situation like Calvin. He'll just retire. I don't think he'll do anything with another team. I don't know about your opinion on that. All right, so I completely agree. Julio, I don't see him going anywhere else. And... Uh, making any drama. Julio Jones has never been the type of uh, receiver who was who like caused a lot of drama, like an Odell Beckham or Antonio Brown. I th- I agree. I think Julio Jones will stay on the team and just end up retiring and retire as a really good receiver. And 
uh, Calvin Ridley will just end up being the next wide receiver one for the Falcons for, for years. Because Calvin Ridley has been playing pretty well so far. All right, so, all right, so if you want to move on to one of your questions. All right, so one of my questions comes from Rowan, who is a big Bengals fan. He's, why did y'all sleep on Mixon? Uh, I, um, I believe... I mean, how is it? Uh, I mean, we mentioned this earlier in the show that... Uh, to the prior show that uh, we we didn't. We were looking to sell Mixon, and yes, he had a really good performance, but uh, we cannot expect this every single week. He definitely has uh, boosted our confidence in him, but still, you got to kind of worry about Gio Bernard because he's still healthy and he still takes away the pass game work, apparently, except for this week. Yeah, for sure. So moving forward, I think Joe Mixon is definitely ranked a lot higher than we normally had him, mm-hmm. but he's definitely someone that we were sleeping on only because just was seeing the same amount of snaps as Gio Bernard, which is something you don't want to hear. Right, you never want to. You never want to see someone who has that high that who we spent that much draft capital on, getting work to some or splitting work with somebody who we weren't drafting pretty much at all. That's concerning. Yeah, for sure. All right, um, I'll okay, get. So I'll go and move on to one of mine. All right. So this is from four hundred five underscore Lilski. Right. His name, his question is what what is the Chargers backfield gonna look like with Eckler out? I think we kinda touched on it, so we'll keep this a little brief. But I don't know about you, but I think it'll be probably a sixty forty with Kelly and Jackson. No, I completely agree with that. Uh Kelly is definitely the better one to own, but Justin Jackson should play a role too. I think uh I think uh Kelly will be more or less the goal line back though. Yeah, for sure. Kelly will be the, the uh, I wouldn't say the ground and pound, because he'll still be the receiving back, because Jackson is just not a receiving back. Right, exactly. But Kelly will still see the goal line work. Right. Uh, that's why That's why I prefer uh, Kelly. He's just, he, he gets he gets the valuable touches uh, more often than um, Jackson will or should, but overall, they're still going to kind of eat into each other's production, but they'll be okay starts heading forward as long as Eckler uh, is injured. All right. So one of my questions from uh, Danny Boy underscore Lopez. I did this trade. I gave this guy Gallup, Crowder, and Moster, and I got Boyd and Mike Davis. Uh, I want to know what your thoughts on that is. Uh, man, I don't know. Because he's a Gallup, Crowder, and Moster is what he gave up for... Boyd and Mike Davis. Uh, Boyd and Mike Davis. Yes. Oof, I don't at all personally. I don't know about you, but I think Gallup and Crowder probably gonna see the same amount of score as Boyd if Crowder was healthy. And Moster is just Moster is undeniable RB one in the 49ers right now. You could tell just by watching the games. I think when he comes back, he'll start out a little slow. But I don't know if I like that deal at all, especially when CMC is coming back soon. Yeah, I kind of agree. When you first look at it, for maybe the next few weeks, it's a win for him because of Mike Davis. But in the long term, in the long term, like rest of season, Mostert's going to come back. McCaffrey's going to come back. Uh, Like, this is okay. This is okay if you're looking to win the next few weeks, but long term, rest of season, uh, not a huge fan. I, I agree. Yeah, 
Um, so we'll go and move on to another question. This is from Owen underscore Brown nine, who says, when is Mike Davis tradable? If you can get something for him, that will be an actual asset moving forward. I would take it unless you're in, unless you need Mike Davis for now. If so, just hold on to him until CMC gets back and he'll stay as an RB one, RB two until CMC comes back. So I think it's a definition or I think it's, scenario to where if you need Mike Davis and you're starting him um, and you don't really have another RB option, you should definitely hold on to him until CMC comes back. But if you, you have him on your bench, go ahead and ship him off for a bench piece that, or not a bench piece, if you can get a starter or if you can upgrade at the position, I would go ahead and do that 100% with Mike Davis. Right, I agree. Because one thing you have to remember is, yes, Mike Davis is playing well now, but as soon as McCaffrey comes back, it's likely McCaffrey's backfield, and Mike Davis is not going to be valuable. He's just going to be worth a bench piece, and maybe it. And he, honestly, I'd probably hold him on the bench just because we know that McCaffrey, uh, there's always a chance he could re-injure this year because of, that's just the way injuries work is injuries do become easy to re-injure. But he's just going to be a bench. He's just going to be a bench piece once McCaffrey comes back. So. His trade value is never going to be higher than it is now because as soon as McCaffrey comes back, his trade value is going to be next to nothing. Yeah, 100%. Do you guys believe that DJ Moore will become what he was midway through last season in 2019, or will Robbie Anderson limit his upside all of 2020? I mean, so far, it looks like Robbie Anderson's limiting his upside, but uh, this basically, this is what happens to people who play with Gase uh move teams like they play well the next year so there's always a really good shot that Robbie Anderson just continues up what he's done and just continues to do so uh DJ Moore still has been getting uh, a good amount of targets and he's still involved in the offense but it definitely caps his upside and like we've mentioned earlier in this uh episode uh he's a buy low but temper expectations because his upside is not in the wide receiver one category. He's more or less a wide receiver two. Yeah, so that's the thing with DJ Moore, to be quite honest. Robbie Anderson, while I think DJ Moore is still the wide receiver one on this team, he I think he's seen more targets. If I'm not mistaken, hold on, let me check on Fantasy Pros. Uh, DJ Moore has, before this game, 32. Robbie Anderson had 34. So actually, DJ Moore had more targets. But I think DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson are near neck and neck. While I think DJ Moore is a more primary target and teams are focusing more on him, Robbie Anderson is a beneficiary because he's not necessarily being uh, valued as much in terms of other teams. I think DJ Moore is a, RB, or a wide receiver two moving forward, but I also think Robbie Anderson is a low wide receiver two, high wide receiver three moving forward. Right. Kind of completely agree with you. So basically, um, we broke down every game. We talked about who did good. Who disappointed, the all the waiver moves, all of the buy lows and sell highs, and we answered your questions. So, so far, pretty good episode, I think. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's good, and uh, we're looking forward to doing this uh, each week. So, each Monday, make sure to send us in your questions, and we'll answer them on the show. Yeah, and uh, we plan on doing this uh, podcast every week, and they should be dropping on Tuesday every week. As long as the NFL stays a thing. Hopefully hopefully it does, yeah. and hopefully COVID doesn't completely take it over. Um, that's actually something I want to ask, ask you because I know you have an interesting uh, perspective on it. 
Uh, what's your thoughts on COVID and the NFL? What do you think it's going to look like going forward? Okay, so I'm assuming you saw um, my Mythbusters post I, that I had. I on. did. That's the only reason I'm bringing it up. Exactly. So here's the thing, right? I'm a huge MLB fan. So as soon as I saw the MLB have their two outbreaks within the Miami Marlins and the St. Louis Cardinals, I thought NFL's over, MLB's over. I took that stance because there's no way if the Miami Marlins have 25 players, yet the NFL has 53, if there's a team outbreak, that team is done for. So I, I definitely thought that, but seeing how much the NFL wants this season to happen, whether it is for money reasons or whether it is so that we can actually see football and everything is going well. I think the NFL is doing all that it will take to make sure that the season happens. If fantasy seasons are screwed up because of it, they might end up having to do that. But to be honest, were we expecting a perfect season? The, the, the answer should have been no. Right. I, I agree uh, somewhat. Um, however, I do think we have to consider that there's always a possibility that the NFL decides to just take a break for, say, two weeks. Kind of do like a forced type of quarantine type deal. I don't think it will happen, but it's always a possibility and it's something that we would have to plan for. And it'd probably honestly probably be one of the better solutions to this than if we were to have lots of team outbreaks than to just uh, postpone and move games. Because this is causing uh, havoc in the fantasy world. Yeah, for sure. But I don't. I think at the end of the day, I think they're caring more about getting all 16 games in. And they're also, however they can do that is how they're going to do it. So I think normally had both games that were postponed on Tuesday. Obviously, the Chiefs and the Patriots are playing now on Monday. And they're currently playing as we speak. But the issue that we have is I think the NFL's too... And I'm not trying to be rude. They're trying to be too money hungry, and they're trying to still be able to get fans on the field um, to to end up gaining in revenue. And at the same time, I think they're still trying to get the product out there for people to watch because there simply is nothing to watch at this point. Right. Uh, one thing that I uh, kind of I never brought this up to you or any of the fantasy accounts I've mentioned, but I thought it was an okay idea uh, if, like, in order to kind of help prevent any spread of uh, COVID-19 this is this is my idea I didn't get it from anywhere and it's probably a terrible idea but I'm just going to mention it anyway is I was thinking the NFL could do eight separate bubble cities and you do one for each NFL division right because basically the schedules are break down most most of the games 14 of the 16 games are broke down by a division so you would have the eight bubble teams and each one's would play in their division uh, twice. This would pretty much eliminate the NFL schedule, and it's it's never going to happen this season. But it's just an idea I thought of: is you get all of the all four teams in each division to play each other two times. So that'd be the first six games of the season, and then you just move them around based on which uh, divisions in each conference they play. And then you'd only have to worry about the last two games during the end of the season. Um. It's not a terrible idea. Um, it's never it going to happen, though. A winning record, though in, it'll keep a winning record, though, in the NFC East. That'll be helpful. I mean, um, true. <laughs> there's no way. There's no way a team that wins a division will have a winning record. No. But I don't think it's a terrible idea, but at the same time, there's a lot of flaws with it. 
A, yeah, there's going to be teams from the NFC East that make the playoffs, which if there's more than one, that's absolutely ridiculous. Um, I think another issue with it is I think the only two ways they can proceed with the season are either A, they just roll through the season like they have been doing now, or B, they basically just take a three-week hiatus where they basically just quarantine everyone, making sure that everyone is fine, but making sure you have to track down where these people are going because at the end of the day, this person got COVID because they were with someone that had COVID. And if it's not anyone inside the NFL personnel, they have to find out who that is in order to make sure that this doesn't happen again. Right. That's the, like the NBA, the NBA did a really good job with it so far. It'd be nice to see if the NFL can kind of replicate that, but with the amount of personnel, it's going to be tough to do. Yeah. So, but that's the issue. And then the MLB season did a terrible job, but somehow that made it through. We made it through with the divisions, but like, Let's be honest, we had two team outbreaks and we're just glad to be in the playoffs. <laughs> right, exactly. So, is there any other thoughts you want to add before we decide to end the show? Um, Yeah, a few things. Mike Thomas is better than Michael Thomas. Uh, Facts. I don't think of anything else. Tracy McSorley, Trace McSorley is the best quarterback in the NFL. You definitely should use 100% of your fat budget on him. And then, other than that, um, I don't think there's anything much. Uh, did Jeremy Sprinkle get a target? No, he didn't. That's unfortunate. Very unfortunate. But, yeah. Mike Thomas is better than Michael Thomas, is all you need to know. And remember, uh, AJ Green is going to be a Patriot by week nine. Uh, it's actually Julio Jones. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> if Julio Jones is a Patriot as a Dolphins fan, I will literally just. I, I, I don't know what to do. Uh, man, it'd be crazy, but honestly, I don't see I don't see an NFL season where the Patriots don't trade for some receiver, like about midway through the year. So I think AJ Green's the easy target to go for and the easy one to pick. Uh, no, the, the easy target is Byron Pringle. Come on, no. that's just gonna be a match made in heaven. Instead of Demir Bird, you just have Byron Pringle as your slot wide receiver. Yeah, that'd be insane, <laughs> dude. Jared Stidham and Cam Newton to Byron Pringle. Like that's that's a dynamic duo. For sure. Bill Belichick would go sixteen and zero with them. He'd find a way. They'd be amazing. Hundred percent. Wouldn't lose the Chiefs right now if they had Byron Pringle. Come on. No, exactly. All right. So let's do a quick uh Monday night score recap. Uh beans were kinda like recording this on monday so let's see how the games are doing um one thing i do want to mention before we do end up ending the podcast here soon is that um none of the breakdowns will be on the monday night games obviously because um they're playing right now so we can't tell you the final stats and anybody pick up or whatever but we will give you a quick update on the scores of them as we're speaking i know it's kind of sounds kind of pointless but we're just going to do it anyway Chiefs are up 26-10 in the fourth quarter with a minute 47 to go. And the Packers currently are in the lead 7-3, second quarter, 7 minutes 38 seconds to go. So, uh, yep. one more one more deal. I just want to get your score prediction for the Packers and Falcons game. We already know it's 7-3 right now, so uh, I want to know what your score prediction is going to be. 
Alright, so uh, basically, I'm just going to predict it now. Um, not that this is a surprise. The Falcons are going to get up, I would imagine, 24-7, and they're going to choke. So I'm going to say 31-27 is going to be my prediction for that. And then obviously the Chiefs-Patriots game is wrapped, or pretty much wrapped up. Yeah, it's, Bird is, it's, it's wrapped up. Demir Bird's the best wide receiver on the Patriots. For sure. Take back what I said about Byron Pringle. Yes. So um, my score prediction, uh, Packers win, beat the Falcons, uh, somehow they both rally back uh, from the score they're at now. 35-34 is the final score. And um, that I, then I will win the NFL Pick'em Contest at work this week. Nice. All right, so let's just let's hope that happens. Packers can be 4-0 on the year. We all need that to happen, except for Bears fans. Yeah, for sure. All right. This is going to be the end of the Sack Attack and Fantasy Football Advocate podcast. Uh, You can check out uh, any of my social media accounts. The at is sackattack underscore ff on Instagram. If you want to, you can check out my Twitter, but I'm pretty inactive. At sackattack underscore ff. Advocate, where can they find you? Uh, You can find me mainly on Instagram. I'm on Twitter, advocate underscore fantasy, but I normally don't post on there. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it for us. All right. Great episode. Glad to be back on. And we will be back on another podcast next week, hopefully. And we'd like to do this every week of the NFL season. So every Tuesday, look forward to a podcast with the both of us. Uh, That will be all. Remember, uh, Mike Thomas is the better Michael Thomas. Uh, Trace McSorley is the GOAT. And you get to add one more final thing. Um, I gotta think of something quick. Jeez. <laughs> um, uh, Travis Etienne to Miami. That's what I get. That's all I have to say. All right, we are out of here. See you later. Remember, check out our social media, and we'll see you next week.